This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm your host, Dina Marie Hale, and in for Archbishop Sample this week is Bishop Peter Smith. Bishop Smith, it's always great to have you joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. It's great to be with with you, Dina Marie, and with all of you who are listening in on the direct broadcast or social media or any other form. Glad you could be with us. Who would have thought we'd be on podcasts and on all of these different apps? (laughs) I just remember starting in radio, and it was very simple, but today... It's everywhere. It's a, it's a great blessing in many respects. It yeah. can also be a curse, <laughs> but there's so many more ways in which we can communicate. Uh, the, the challenge is that when there were a few simple ways, everyone was tied to that, mm-hmm. but now there are so many different ways. And so to keep up with everything sometimes is challenging, but on the other hand, you also have the opportunity to reach so many more people who are out there. Uh, one of the priests in our diocese who is a, uh, a techie geek priest. He records all his homilies and he puts them on a podcast that goes out. And when he, he over a year, he will tell you he looks at his parish website and how many times the, the Sunday Mass homilies have been listened to by people, and it's thousands and thousands. But when he when he puts them on the podcasts, it's into hundreds of thousands. Mm. And he gets feedback from folks uh, saying that these are folks who never go inside a church, but they like his homilies, so they listen to them while they're at the gym exercising. So there's a great example of some form of pre-evangelization is going on here, and who knows what the Holy Spirit can do with that. So this multiplicity of tech, uh, while it may be challenging and have uh, some bad things in it, also has many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to bring about even greater good. Right. I mean, you never know who's going to download that podcast, who's going to see that video, and it's just going to spark an interest. I think about Mother Angelica when she came on the scene and was doing television. All of a sudden, here's this nun with this television station reading the scriptures, and she's captivated the world and has left a legacy all over it, and we're following the footsteps of that. So how beautiful. The last time we talked, we talked about the Advent season. Uh, Now as we enter into Christmas and New Year's, there's a little bit different buzz. Uh, The colors change from what violet to white in liturgically. Uh, But now I think there's this New Year and we think about new. Everybody's talking about what's your New Year's resolution? What are you going to do differently this year? How are we going to approach 2023? You know, as we look at that question, 
coming from the perspective of being a Christian, um, it may be a different answer than in the secular world and how we're going to approach. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to accomplish this feat. I'm going to look to, you know, move up into the particular uh, realm at work. Maybe it will look different. What about New Year's resolutions? Well, before we get there, uh the, the colors of the season are interesting. It's, uh, it's white for the Christmas season, and then we go to green. But there's a lot of red in that Christmas season That's as right. well because we celebrate all kinds of martyrs and so on in that Christmas season. And then in some of our parishes, and I was fortunate to be able to do this at St. Rose, we wear gold mm. on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Gold is a, uh, is a substitute for white. White is the basic neutral color for what we use for vestments. But at St. Rose, I discovered, buried in the, the archive somewhere, these beautiful old, they're old style, they're, they're made for when the priest celebrated with his back to the people because that's where the really ornate stuff was on the back of the chasuble, not the front. But it was all this red velvet and gold thread vestments, just wonderful. And there was there was a deacon one uh, and, and one for a priest. And I had to be careful because it was... It, there were parts where the, the, the material was not strong. Uh, I found a, a cope made which was barely used, so that material was good. And if I had stayed longer, I would have had a, another chasuble fabricated out of the cope material because yeah. you don't get that material today. But for Christmas and Easter at St. Rose, what we would do is break out the red velvet and gold thread vestments. People loved it. Mm. Yeah, but it was just another way of, of, of highlighting this is really special mm-hmm. you know, when we celebrate this. Then we'd use the white vestments for the rest. Right. As regards New Year's resolutions, uh, we all seem to, not all, but mo- many of us seem to use New Year as a time for, okay, I, I want a do-over. As human mm-hmm. beings, we really like do-overs. And in a spiritual sense, uh, that ties into redemption. You know, we are redeemed, we get a do-over with our life. Uh, So Jesus, in his mercy and forgiveness, allows us do-overs. And uh, you see this in the the, the lives of the apostles. Like, for example, St. Peter. St. Peter gets a whole bunch of do-overs in his life, (laughs) you know, from get behind me, Satan, to, you know, on the lake shore, doing over his his, uh, denial of Christ and so on. So... We all love that because it gives us another chance. And as I've heard some preachers say, God is a God of second chances. So we we love that because we know that we fail more often than not at these things. And when somebody gives us another shot at it, uh, we're grateful for that and we hopefully do better this time. The question with New Year's resolutions is, it's interesting, why New Year? Mm-hmm. I mean, in one sense, that's just a, co- a construct and organization of time that we have put on the mm-hmm. climate, these, these seasons and so on, for ourselves. Um, but in another sense, it's a psychological point for a new beginning mm-hmm. where we've come to the end of this and now we want to try and do better going forward. And that's a wonderful thing that we think that way. Now, the question of what are we going to do better tells us a lot about ourselves and what's really important to us. And for us as Catholics, going forward in the new year, 
you know, there, there's some practical things that we can say, you know, I really need to do a better job. I'm going to go on diet or I'm going to exercise or I'm going to try and do this or I'm going to try and do that. Those things may be important, but just as important uh, is to say something like, I'm going to try and pray 10 minutes a day using this means of praying or reflecting every day going forward. So our spiritual life is far more important than our physical life. Our physical lives are important because if we're dead, we can't do any good for the kingdom of God. Or if we're uh, indigent or unable to do much of anything. But our spiritual lives are far more important because our soul lives forever. Ultimately, at the end, we have our glorified bodies, but our soul lives forever. And to do those things in that relationship with God that help us grow, give us strength and direction in our lives going forward. So those are things I would say for the new year. You know, we, we make these practical resolutions for the new year, but don't forget the spiritual resolution in there as well because those things can make a huge difference in our lives and in our faith. Right. I want to go back to the liturgical colors, Bishop Smith, because you mentioned the red, and it's we talked about it last time when you talked about Advent and Christmas happens, and all of a sudden the Christmas tree goes out. But what do we celebrate? The day after Christmas is a martyr's feast. And so from this beautiful celebration and all of the lights, and then the next day, Wow, we have our first martyr of St. Stephen. But maybe give us a sense of these martyrs, and in this season, that color red can maybe remind us of of where we're going and, and the cost of discipleship. Yeah, the Church reminds us in the case of martyrs, these are men, women, and children who have given their lives for our faith, and they're part of our communion of saints and our extended family of faith not only in this world, but in the world beyond this one. And so we remember them for their faith, for their witness, for their life, and as examples to us, and as intercessors for us. So St. Stephen, the first known martyr that we have, and Saul of Tarsus was there, later Paul the Apostle. We don't know what part that played in Paul opening his heart to the Lord on the road to Damascus. But... It reminds us of something that these people sacrificed themselves for what they perceived was greater. As human beings, we don't sacrifice for things that are lesser. For a human being to sacrifice his or her life for something, they see that as greater than themselves and more important than themselves. So parents sacrificing their lives for their children. You know, if I, I, I may die, but my son or daughter or my children will be free and live on. Why? Because there's something greater than ourselves that we're willing to give ourselves to. In the case of the martyrs, that, that is Christ, where they are put to death for their faith because they won't deny Christ. So it's a reminder to us. Now, in this world, now, people have said in the 20th century there are more martyrs than in all the previous centuries combined, Yes, that there, there are some reasons why that's true. One is because they're more Christians, but there's persecution is still there. But in another sense, we're all called to live lives of holiness, and that means sacrifice of ourselves in the midst of all of this. And the church reminds us of all these things 
during the course of the church year. But in the Christmas season, as you point out, that Christmas octave, the eight mm-hmm. days of celebrating, starting with the, the uh, Christmas and going on, and that octave, we have a whole bunch of celebrations. Uh, I think there's only one day in there that is a, a normal weekday because we are celebrating all these things. That's one of the things I love about Catholicism is we have novenas in preparation for something and an octave in celebration mm-hmm. afterwards. So as I jokingly tell a lot of people, you know, as Catholics, if we're going to celebrate our birthdays or anniversaries, we should begin nine days beforehand with the novena leading up to it. So we have nine days of preparation, uh, preparatory celebrations right. up to the day. We have a grand celebration on the day, and then for another week afterwards, we have continual celebrations for the day. If you look at our faith, yes, we fast on different occasions and so on, but as one spiritual writer said, we fast so that we can feast. Yeah. We fast to discipline ourselves and remind ourselves and be, uh, have a penitential side of it so that when the time comes, we can feast all the more greatly. Mm-hmm. And let's look at that feast a little bit, um, Bishop Smith, the Feast of the Nativity. And if we put ourselves in that space, a barn-like or a cave, whatever, the manger, but we've got this this child, we've got Mary and Joseph, and at different times we hear about shepherds, we hear about animals, we hear about we hear about wise men that come and visit the Holy Family. What does this have to say about who God is? You know, and he actually shows us who I am. Now I've got the second person of the Holy Trinity that has been born at a particular time Let's reflect on that a little bit. Wow, there's so much one could yeah. say of the, something uh, with with all this, but just a couple of comments. One is, God reveals Himself in a way that we can comprehend. So the sec- the Trinity, out of love for us, send the Word, the second person of the Trinity, and He takes on human form. That's why John writes, "The Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us." So now Jesus is in this world. So how does Jesus come into this world? Jesus comes into this world the same way every one of us does through our mothers. Jesus could have beamed down from the spaceship, so to speak, and revealed himself in the fullness of his glory, and everyone would be down on their faces before him, some in great joy, others in great terror. But that would overwhelm our free will. And God gave us from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, free will. And the reason God gives us free will is that he wants to share his life with us, but he wants us to choose that. God doesn't want a bunch of robots or zombies that are following him. He wants us to freely and willingly choose to share our lives with him and allow him to be part of our lives and allow him to draw us into what he he is doing into his life, into himself. So the second person of the Trinity comes in a way that he is able to proclaim in a more progressive way going along through his life until Jesus manifests himself just before the, the crucifixion, but in a way that draws a response from us in faith and does not overwhelm that free will. So there's an example of God's incredible love and care and mercy for you and I. 
You know, so God comes to us in a way we can understand. And he comes into this world through Mary. And the baby Jesus is raised up in a family and comes to maturity and then begins his public ministry later in life. So this reminds us, as the church tells us in some of our prayer, Jesus took on human form and lived in every way we did except sin. So it's an example to us. It's like this isn't something beyond us, but God is with us. That's where the word Emmanuel comes with us, God with us. And you see that in the beginnings of the Old Testament and now in a very particular way in the New Testament. God with us, Emmanuel. Um, that's why if you go to the Easter Vigil and they sing the Exaltat, it's an unnecessary sin of Adam. You know, so the sin of Adam wasn't planned by God or desired by God, but that sin of Adam, in a sense, opened the door for God to reflect himself and manifest himself to us in the form of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who triumphs over sin and death, reconciles us with the Father, and leads us to the Father and empowers us with the Holy Spirit. So in, in Christmas, it's, uh, there's another element to this that I'll just point out. We talk about Christmas as the incarnation. It's a fancy word that mm-hmm. we use, which literally means enfleshment. And the, the, the Latin and Spanish word for flesh is carne, which means mm-hmm. meat. So in a sense, you see it's a very visceral uh, description, the enfleshment, the taking on of meat, the taking on of flesh. And we see that as throughout our culture, there was only one incarnation, the Jesus Christ. But to the degree that we as people open our lives and allow God to become more and more part of our lives, we, we become incarnations with a little I, not a capital I, because Christ takes root within us, and as Christ grows within us, you know, just as Christ manifests himself in each of us. So we have that. But as we look at our culture, our culture is doing the opposite, mm. here in the West anyway. Our culture is doing the opposite. We are excarnating God. And for those of us, at least in the Portland metro area and some other places, you look around and we have kicked God out of our world, our lives, our culture, and everything. And sometimes to the point where we're forbidden to even bring God into our lives and our worlds and our culture. So we excarnate God from all of this. But when we do that, at some point, human beings begin to say, there has to be something more other than just ourselves and we want to be a better version of ourselves tomorrow. You know, what gives us real hope in suffering, in tragedy, in crisis, in existential angst? There has to be something more. And this is something that's deep within us as human beings, as that's why St. Augustine writes, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So it's even more important in our lives and our culture to manifest Christ at this time. I always remember as a boy growing up in South Africa, the Knights had this put Christ back into Christmas Mm -hmm. bumper sticker. And I always wondered, 
why is that a thing? Isn't Christmas always about Christ? But when you live in a rapidly secularizing culture, you realize what's going on. Christmas becomes about a great consumerist holiday where you give gifts to the people around you and you have nice meals and so on. Then what? You know, we call it Christmas, Christ Mass. And when we, even as Catholics and Christians, we start approaching it that way, we miss what God is doing in our lives because Christ didn't just come as a baby in the crib. He wants to come to you and I in a much deeper way every Christmas in our lives. But he comes as a gift, and as gifts, we have to receive that gift. We have to unpack it and make Mm -hmm. it part of our lives, and we have that choice. We have that free will. So you may look at something as helpless as the child, a newborn child, totally dependent on their parents. But in this newborn child at Christmas, the power in that, the potential in that, the new life in that, the mercy, the forgiveness, the wonderful care God God manifests in that is just awesome. And I would encourage all those who are listening this Christmas, make room for Christ in your celebration of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the beauty of having the octave, and I don't want to have people miss this. Of course, Christmas Day, as we said in 2022, is on Sunday. The next Sunday, and you mentioned Christ came through his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so we honor her with a particular title that's been uh, criticized maybe by some, but we believe it to be true, and it is true. She is the mother of God on January one. Just maybe talk a little bit about this octave and that it leads up to a, a, a teaching of who Mary is, not just the mother of Jesus, but the mother of God. Yeah, that celebration, Mary, Mother of God, goes back to the very early church and the Christological controversies. So who who was Jesus? And therefore, for for us as Catholics, whatever we do in celebrating Mary comes from Jesus. So we honor Mary because... She was the one who said, let it be done to me according to thy word. So she was the one who said yes to the Lord. And there's no way she could remotely have understood the fullness of what was unfolding. But she put her faith in the angel and the Lord and the message of the Lord. So in the early church, there was this argument, well, who was Jesus really? What does it mean that Jesus was human and divine? And at some point, there was an argument that Mary was just the mother of the humanity of Jesus. So now you have Jesus being segmented into the human and the divine. So you've effectively got two beings squished into one. And the early church said, no, that's not true. This is an organic. There's, there's Jesus Christ as human and divine. And so by making Mary mother of God, It wasn't that God did not exist before her. They're making a statement about the divinity of Jesus and also the role of Mary in all of that. And that's why we celebrate that. Right. And this octave, you mentioned we've got a couple martyrs' feast days in there. We've got this year the Feast of the Holy Family that will fall within that octave. But there are 
boy, if you could go to Mass every day, if you could just maybe have a little prayer. Um, I know some traditions where you have a white candle instead of those colored Advent candles. Now we have the Christmas candle that we could light, and maybe that could be part of an octave observance. That's what we do in our house. Uh, We don't have an Advent wreath, but in the main center part of the table, we get a nice big thick pillar candle, and that's what we use. And some years we've tried the four white candles for the for the Advent candles and the Advent wreath is now Christmas wreath. So that's one way to do it. There are other ways to do that as well in celebrating Christmas. Yeah, the the uh, getting back to the celebrations, yeah, we have a number of major celebrations in quick succession. So you have Christmas Day, generally speaking, Holy Family is the Sunday after Christmas. And then from there, you move to the Epiphany, which is the next one, and then Baptism of the Lord, and then we're into ordinary time. And then in between, we have other uh, feast days and memorials that, that go with that. Now, this year we have a little oddity because Christmas and New Year's falls on Sunday. So they super, supersede the normal Sunday masses. Um, so that way we have to push now, because New Year's Day is that we push the Holy Family back a bit. And we work it that way as that's how we do it. But it all depends on the dates and how that works I can tell you now, as having been a pastor of a parish, as pastors, what we dreaded. <laughs> we loved it when Christmas was midweek or right on a Sunday, and New Year was on a Sunday. But when Christmas was on Saturday or Monday, it just makes for a long, <laughs> long time. I'm trying to figure out, and as you pointed out, Dina Marie, earlier on, it's it's trying to figure out, okay, do we do a vigil mass? What happens? You know, Christmas is on Christmas Eve is Sunday night. So how do we do that? How do we organize the mass schedule? So there's all these practical things. And I would say this, too. Is, uh, now some people say, oh, these Christmas masses go on so long. You ain't seen nothing, <laughs> to right. use the colloquial expression. Our Orthodox and Eastern Catholic mm-hmm. brothers and sisters do all-night vigils. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a delight to have you with us today. And again, Happy New Year. And as we come to a close, would you offer your blessing as we close Certainly. today? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son born in Christmas. And as we begin this new year, Lord, we ask you to bless us, to give us your grace, your wisdom, your insight, that as we go forward, we would ever deepen our relationship with you and grow in our faith and witness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale. Until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week and a blessed new year. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MatraDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. 
And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.